Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. This may be a familiar story to some of you. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make ourselves a name. And let us, oh, otherwise we will be scattered abroad the face of the earth, of the whole earth. The Lord God came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men have built. The Lord God said, behold, they are one people and they have all the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us Go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. The last time that we gathered, we considered the table of nations in chapter 10, of Genesis. There in chapter 10, we learned of God's sovereignty over the nations. A people who had just been released from the bondage of slavery, the nation of Israel, was greatly encouraged to learn that all nations were not acting independently of the plans and purposes of God. They had seen firsthand in the plagues that God executed upon Egypt and climactically in the parting of the Red Sea that God was sovereign and is sovereign over the nations. And we gleaned from this great encouragement for ourselves here today. How? There is not one nation under the burning sun that acts independently of the plans and purposes of God. Amen. Amen. Let's wake up. Therefore, no matter what may come in the ups and downs or the ebbs and flows of this nation, or any other nation, for that matter, God is sovereign, and he alone rules the nations. Amen. We learn of the prospering of the nations in spite of their sinfulness and wickedness of the one true, or rejection of worship of the one true God. Nations prosper. People prosper. In spite of rejecting worship of God, people prosper. And we asked last week, how is this possible that the wicked prosper? How is it possible that it appears that those who reject the rule of God in their lives thrive and prosper while those who submit to the will of God in God's word suffer hardship and struggle? And we allow the Lord God to answer his question or this question by him, by using God's word. God has blessed all peoples with the ability to, as we learned last week, temporarily Enjoy the blessings of this earth temporarily. And God has promised to preserve the earth until the coming of his son, who will bring all things to completion. But know this. 
the wicked will not escape judgment. And finally, we learned in the 10th chapter that though this chapter, that chapter, chapter 10, was truly historical, it was primarily, or, and it is primarily, theological. Let, let me say really quickly, don't be turned off by that word. What does the, theological mean? It means the study of God. So, although this chapter 10 is a true his, history of the nations of the world, God is trying to communicate something to us about himself in that chapter. All that we find in the 10th chapter is meant to to give us a glimpse into the progressing promise of God to bring forth a skull-crushing seed from the woman. The table of nations, although difficult to read, although honestly difficult to preach, is meant to show us that God has a people. That he has preserved for himself and he has commissioned that people, those people, we his people, to go to the nations. He has commissioned his people to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations, to call men to repent of their sins, to trust in Christ alone for their salvation and to escape the coming judgment of God. And now today, with God's help, we will consider this familiar narrative. How many of you have ever read or heard of the Tower of Babel? Praise be to God. Today we will consider the narrative of the Tower of Babel in the 11th chapter of the book of Genesis. And I have four points for you this morning. Number one, rebellious settlers. Rebellious settlers. If you're taking notes, rebellious settlers. Verse one, now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed where? East, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. As we come to the 11th chapter, we come to a world that will be divided by languages. We come to a world that will be scattered abroad the face of the whole earth. But before that happens, I'd like to ask you a question, brothers and sisters. How did the peoples of the world come to speak the multiplicity of languages and dialects that are spoken from the coastland to the desert, from the mountain range to the city. How did we develop or get all of these different languages? How did the peoples of the world arrive at the locations in which they reside? They and their descendants who will settle there after them, generation after generation. How did they get where they got. You may say, my ancestors are from Mexico. How did they get there? You may say, my ancestors are from Africa. How did they get there? My ancestors are from here, America. How did they get here? You ever wonder those questions? When I was a fourth grade teacher, I used to ask my students, where is your mother from? And they would say, my mother's from here. Where was her mother from? They would say, my mother's from, her mother's from, my grandma? Yeah. Where is she from? Texas? And where's her grandma from? Or where's her mom from? My great-grandma? Everybody's just always been from Texas. Not so. We've all come from somewhere. We've all traveled and journeyed from somewhere. The scriptures testify that there was a time when the languages of the whole earth were one. When the the peoples of the earth spoke 
there was no misunderstanding or in, in inability to comprehend what each person said. Imagine a world that way. Imagine a world wherein language was not a barrier between men. Imagine going to the, you ladies who get your nails done, imagine going to the nail parlor and knowing what those individuals are saying as they're doing your nails. That's not in my notes. Let me move on. Imagine a world wherein each man understands his neighbor and they together can communicate and accomplish common goals. What was the language that was spoken? It was one language. What was that language? It was the language of Noah and his three sons. It was the language that was spoken on the ark. And it was also the language that was passed on from Adam and maintained until the time of the flood. Most likely, it was the Hebrew language. And it is the most common in this time. It was the most common language that all the people began to speak as the, the world began to multiply and increase in number, just as God had blessed them to do. And as they increased in number, they began to journey. Where does the Bible say they began to journey? Look at your Bible. Where did the Bible, where does the Bible say they began to journey? With this one language, where are they going? East. Brothers and sisters, where have we seen the language of East prior to this point in the scriptures? Moses is not giving us information that people are traveling eastward incidentally meaning moses is not just saying they're going east by happenstance it's not an incidental statement it's a a very intentional statement there there is a theological truth that moses is drawing from these traveling nomads turn to genesis chapter 2 and verse 8 a few pages back the lord god planted a garden where? Toward the east, in Eden. Go to Genesis 3.23. And then he drove out the man, next page, for some, at the what of the garden? East of the Garden of Eden, he stationed a cherubim and, and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way of the tree of life. Go to Genesis chapter 4 and verse 16. Cain has murdered his brother. He's being exiled by God. And where does God send him away from? Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod. What? Of Eden. East of Eden. Brothers and sisters, I am not going to, I did not go to a, a concordance and find all the places where the Bible uses the word east. Rather, we are allowing the scriptures to speak for themselves. We are allowing God to speak for God. And what is God saying? These people are attempting to go back east. They're not coming from the east. They're going back east. What was east? They know something is east. What do they know is east? The garden is east. A garden planted by God is east. How did they know that? How did Moses know what he wrote? Just sat there and go, oh, okay, I'll write all that down. Is that the way we received revelation? That men went into a trance and all of a sudden received? Or did Moses have information 
that was passed on to him that God used him to write perfectly. Moses has received information that has been passed on from Noah. Just as these people who were traveling east had, had received, though Noah has died, they have received information from Noah that has been passed on by Noah's progeny, his children. They are receiving information. Noah, while he was alive, told of the wonders of God before the flood. How did Noah know that? Who told him? It was Enoch. It was Lamech. It was the descendants who came before him from Adam, who Pastor John mentioned when he preached, was still alive. This is very good for you to know. So they are gaining information as it is being passed on. Noah was the link between the acts of God before the flood and the acts of God after the flood. Noah passed on these acts through his sons, and they passed on this information to their next generation. And now Moses is writing it down. Noah has told of a garden east. It is Eden. It was a place of perfection and glory lost by Adam. And these people, they are attempting to, let's go back there. The Eden, though, or the Garden of Eden was, was long gone. Guarded by a cherubim before the flood, destroyed by God in the flood. And yet, these people are attempting to recapture something that is unattainable. It's no longer in existence. They are journeying east with hopes that they might settle in a place of perfection. But they sought to accomplish it by simple means. They could attain a place of perfection or they could go to a place of perfection, not attain it, not earn it. If they placed their faith in God in the promised seed, but instead they rejected the promised seed and said, we'll go get it ourselves. We'll get that land of rest, a place of glory ourselves. They sought to accomplish it through human effort, through human achievement. This was their first act of rebellion. We may read chapter 11 and say, what's going on here? What's the big deal? This was their first act of rebellion. And we'll see this in greater detail, this rebellion in greater detail. As they journey towards this mirage of splendor, they settle in the land of Shinar. Settle. Once again, intentional language. These people have settled. They found a plane. Do you know what a plane is? It's an open field. Shinar was in a low valley. And it is there that they will make their new home. This is their second act of rebellion. Now, how is this an act of rebellion? That they settle the land of Shinar. Because what has God commanded in, in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 1? God has, has blessed the sons of Noah and their offspring to do what? To be fruitful and multiply. To fill the earth. Subdue it. We learn that this blessing and command was not only to populate the earth, to, but to build all over the earth. It was a command not to settle, but to expand. To spread man. The image of God, man, man made in the image of made in the image of God, to spread man all over the earth, not to settle in one isolated valley and to stay together, to huddle together. These people have decided to forsake the commands of God, and rather than spread throughout the earth, they have sinfully chosen to plant their rebellious flag 
in the muddy plains of Shinar. Muddy plains. We'll get to that in a moment. Keep that in your mind. As these people settle, their rebellion increases. Point number two. Number one, rebellious settlers. Number two, rebellious builders. Rebellious builders. Verse three. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. Uh, The King James Version says slime. They use slime. We'll get to that in a moment. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad abroad over the face of the whole earth. So these people have settled in the land of Shinar. They are following their leader. Who's their leader? Those of you who were here last week, who was their leader? Nimrod. Nimrod. Nimrod has led them to this plain. Uh, Genesis chapter 9 and verse 8. Go there. Now Cush became the father of Nimrod. He became a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord, they be, they, the beginning of his kingdom was what? 9, 8, 9, 9. What is it? What's the beginning of his kingdom? Babel. He is the builder, the establisher of Babel. The information that we find in Genesis chapter 10 is preparing us for what will come in Genesis chapter 11. Nimrod's name, what does it mean? Come, let us rebel. And this rebel led the people of his day to rebel against the commands of God. The people have followed this manhunter. Remember, he's not a hunter of beasts. He's a hunter of man. They follow this manhunter into the plains of Shinar. Verse 3, they said to one another, uh, chapter 11, come, let us make bricks and bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. The people with one language began to exhort each other. Come, let us stir one another up with a plan. It's a grand plan. Come, let us. With one voice, one language, they began to band together for something great, or so they thought. And yet, in the midst of their great planning, in the midst of the grand plans of man, man's foolishness is always overlooked and always underestimated. This is the display for us, uh, for us It may seem like a passing comment for you and I, but for the Hebrew ears, it was something that would have caused them to perk up, to laugh, and maybe even shake their head at the foolishness of man. Why? Verse 3, because they used brick and burned them thoroughly. And Moses goes on to say, purposely, they used brick for stone, or in other words, it should say brick instead of stone. And they used tar for mortar, or, or Moses saying, and they used slime to hold it all together. You got that? Do you see what Moses is trying to say? And do you see what the children of Israel would have thought? No. What? Did the children of Israel know anything about building? No. Well, they just came out of the land of Egypt. They were slaves for 400 years. 
Pharaoh said, take away their bricks. And now they got to use brick or make bricks with mud and straw. They knew something about building. Right. So Moses is writing this and saying, look how these people began to build. They used bricks. Instead of stones. And Israelites would have laughed and said, bricks instead of stones. That's not going to stand. They knew something about construction. They knew something about the effectiveness of stone over brick. And you remember, or as I said, you may remember that they were given, taken away their bricks. And they had to make their own bricks with mud and straw. So Moses, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is revealing the ineffective and inferior, inferior what? Plans of man. Man makes a plan. It is against God's plan. And any plan against the plans of God will always fail. They will bake bricks and they will build. And what will they build? Verse 4. Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad the face over the face of the whole earth. They follow their sinful leader, Nimrod. Followed him in his rebellion. They've settled in the muddy plain of Shinar and begin to build a city. It is a city that will eventually be depicted in the scriptures as being the kingdom of Satan that will eventually fall. It is Babylon. Babel will become Babylon. They build this city with bricks and they even aspire to construct an epicenter of the city, a tower that will reach into the heavens. Twice again, come let us. Come let us, they say. What were they trying to build? And with this building, what were they trying to accomplish? When we think of this tower in the book of Genesis chapter 11, if you're like me, we often think of something that looks like the Space Needle in Seattle. Tall, straight building, right? Or something that looks like the Empire State Building in New York. But that's not exactly what's being built here in Genesis chapter 11. I'm going to say a word that you may or may not have ever heard. This tower throughout the ancient world was known as a ziggurat. A ziggurat. What is a ziggurat? A ziggurat is something like a stepped pyramid. That was very common in the ancient world. We actually still see the remains of ziggurat towers all over the world, especially in Egypt. In the pyramids. South America and in Asia. The ruins of these ziggurats are still there today. The ruins of them. They were towers or pyramids of great height. And they were constructed for the purpose of worship. Every ziggurat that we see throughout the ancient world was purposed for worship. They were centers of worship. But just like all the other ziggurats in the ancient world... This tower was not constructed to the glory and fame of God, but for the glory and fame of man. How do we know that? Verse 4, B, let us make a name for ourselves. Let us build and make a name for who? For ourselves. Let us build and make a name for ourselves. This is the actions of who? The children of men. That's what the Bible calls them. They are the children of men who are doing this. They are the seeds of the serpent who rebel against the true worship of the one true God and seek exaltation and glory for themselves. They wanted a name. Uh, The Hebrew word for name, listen to this, 
a shim. They wanted a, a shim. Who is shim? Shem is the son of Noah, who has been chosen by God to be the one through whom which the skull-crushing seed of the woman would come. This prophecy from Noah was well known. They knew Shem was the, the blessed one, the promised one. And that Canaan would be his servant. Nimrod falls into that line of Ham. It is his children, his offspring that are building this tower so that they they can build a name. They can build a sim. They wanted to be blessed of God. The children of, of Canaan, of Ham, are now building their own sim. We are not blessed of God. We will make our own blessing. They are seeking to find their own prestige, their own honor. That which will rival the honor of Noah's righteous son, Shem. The aim of the tower was to build a place where men would come and marvel at what? At the achievement of a man or men. They sought to build a place not where God was worshipped, but where man was worshipped. They sought status. They sought significance. They sought exaltation of self. They aspired to build as high as the heaven. And and not that, that heaven is a physical place that if you just get high enough, you'll get to heaven. But they aspired to build so high into the clouds, into the sky. That all men would see it from all around. They were in essence. Building a throne that would be exalted above the throne of God. Built by man for man and to man's glory. Dear ones, can I say something to you this morning? Praise from men. Is both dangerous And an intoxicating desire of the flesh that we must ward against lest we be overcome by it. God has made us man so that we will never find significance until we find it in Christ or till Christ uh, be found in us. And yet man continues to build personal towers. So that we might be praised, so that we might be exalted tower builders who seek to leave their mark on this world so that they might be adored by men and never forgotten. We must take heed of the tower builders in Babel. And listen, and look intently into this narrative, for it is possible that in it we might see our own reflection. What kind of builder are you? There are really only two kinds of builders. There are those who are building for the glory of God and those who are building for the glory of self. This present world that we live in is constantly calling you to exalt yourself. To be the most. To place yourself on display so that you might be admired and adored by all. I can remember growing up with a very popular sister. Who got best dressed who got most athletic. And I can remember her getting the, sorry, sis. I can remember her getting, this is not in my notes either. I can remember her getting the, the yearbook and just going to that spot, who's the most. And every year she was the most. And then me coming after her, I was the least. I was the nothing. But striving to be that, 
But for what? For my own glory, for my own praise. The world teaches you and encourages self-confidence, self-sufficiency, independence, and self-reliance. We are a selfie generation. It, it makes me sick when I see that. I don't get it. Get the right angle. But the ideology of self-exaltation is not limited to one specific generation. It is a sinful condition of every single human born in Adam. Don't call it this millennium generation, the millennials. Stop picking on them. Those who came before them, you got your hang-ups just as much as they do. They're not making the world any worse. We all are making the world worse. It is the sinful desire of our flesh to seek out the praise of men and to exalt ourselves. The desire to exalt self was the sin of Adam and Eve. What was the lie of the serpent? You could be like God. Well, I don't want to be like God. That's for sure, we may say. Whose praise do you seek? Who, whose glory do you seek? Whose name do you desire to be exalted? We may quickly answer, I don't seek anyone's praise but God's. I don't hunger for anyone's glory but God's. I don't desire for anyone to be exalted but God. Brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus provides those who profess such things an examination. This is your profession. Here's your test. It's a test of the soul to see if what we profess with our lips is what is truly found in our hearts. What is that test? John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commands. The God-ordained examination, the x-ray of the soul, if you will, to determine what lies in your heart is found in the obedience, your obedience to God's word, God's commands, God's law. Brothers and sisters, one of the most dangerous responses that we can ever make is God knows my heart. God knows my heart. Is it true that God knows your heart? Yes. Of course God knows your heart. But what is this line of God knows my heart usually said in defense of? Disobedience to God's commands. We more readily use the, 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 the line God knows my heart whenever we are blatantly disobeying what God has commanded. And Jesus said, I can see your heart in what you do. Not in what you say. So we more readily use the God knows my heart line rather than we readily, heartfeltly confess our sins and repent to God. Yes, I have sinned. That is the more honest thing to do. The more defensive thing to do, the more covering thing to do is God knows my heart because nobody can see that. But here's what we can see. What you do, not what you say. Those who seek not to glorify themselves, but to glorify God, live in light of and in obedience to the commands of God. The Lord commands in Deuteronomy 11, love the Lord your God, keep his requirements, keep his decrees, keep his laws, keep his commands. That's for every single person who says, I don't like the word law. So Jesus, God says, I'll give you requirements. I don't like requirements. How about decrees? I don't like decrees. How about commands? I don't like commands. He gives you every single kind of way to say it just so that you can say, I can't get away with it. 
keep it. What law do you live according to? Do you live according to your own law? Or are you diligently seeking to obey the law of God? Or to ask it another way, whose tower are you seeking to build? Your own tower? Are you a part of the city and tower of God? Whose city do you belong to? The city of Satan or the city of God? Brothers and sisters, God gives grace to the humble. But God opposes the proud. And in the coming up on 20 years of walking with the Lord, 38 years of being in church, I have seen prideful professor after prideful professor of faith attempt to build their own towers of praise and fall. Antinomians they are. Lawless ones they are. They ignore instruction. They pridefully refuse correction. You can't correct me. They resist authority. Can't tell me what to do either. They jockey and push for influence. They undermine their leaders. They gossip behind their leaders' backs. They don't want shepherds. They want back scratchers. It's going to be all right. It's not your fault. They throw off the commands of God as if the commands of God were chains meant for their harm and enslavement rather than gifts to God's children for their protection and his glory. I warn you. Dear professor of faith, if that is you, repent of your sins and begin to walk in obedience to God's commands. And listen, I've been in church for 38 years. This is also not in my notes. I can pick out the ones who are on the verge. They are on the, the ledge, if you will, of walking off. They stop looking at you when you're preaching. They start reading their Bible while you're preaching instead of listening to you. They avoid all other relationships except for those who are their close friends. They stop communicating with the leaders. Listen, I'm not a rookie. I've seen this year after year. And I can pick out the one. They're on the verge. And guess what? I have rarely been wrong. Rarely. <sighs> Cease from building your own tower if that is you. Turn to worship God in his obedience. And ask yourself, what's what's the purpose of my life? What is the significance of, of my presence being here? You will not know the significance of your life until Christ and his glory is the central focus of your life. And ask yourself this this morning. What commands am I deliberately disobeying? Or to quote our Lord, why do you say you love me and you don't do what I say? What were these tra people trying to avoid? Accomplish even. They were seeking to accomplish praise for themselves, but they were also trying to avoid destruction. Therefore, they were seeking self-preservation. Verse 4. Otherwise, let's build. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad the face of the whole earth. These people knew what God commanded. They knew they were to be fruitful and multiply. And they deliberately sought to rebel against the commands of God. Of filling the earth and subduing it. God commanded them to scatter. And they say, let's build something really big so that we won't be scattered. God's plan was and purpose was to scatter the people. 
They knew what God said, but they rebelled against it. At the same time, they were preparing themselves, listen, for the possibility of another flood. What? The possibility of another flood? They wanted to build a tower for their fame. That all who saw it would marvel at at the, the work and ingenuity of men in such a structure. And they also wanted to remain together. And because they knew they were disobeying, they were preparing themselves for possible judgment. And how were they preparing themselves for judgment? This time, they would have a refuge. Noah built the ark. He was safe. We will build a ziggurat. And we will be safe. And we'll build it so high that we will not be overcome by the waters this time. But they, didn't they know the promise of God, that God would never destroy the earth again? Yes, they knew. And they were daring God. Try that again. Try that again. We'll be ready this time. How do we get all of that from that? It's there. Three, let's close pretty soon. God's response to the rebels God's response to the rebels, Genesis chapter 11. God's response to the rebels, verse 5. The Lord God came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. The Lord God said, behold, they are one people and they have and they all have the same language. And this is what they begin to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down. And there confused their language so that they will not understand one another, one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth. And they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down. Moses is speaking anthropomorphically, if you remember that, Moses is speaking in a manner of men or in a way in which men can understand something about God. Not that God actually physically came down, but God's coming down is to reveal something about God, and that is God has come down to judge. God will execute judgment on these sons of men who have built this tower. Nothing passes the eye of God. Nothing goes past the the eye of God unnoticed. God sees all. God knows all. God has ordered and decreed all things from the foundation of the world. This was this was not a surprise to God. What are they doing? God knows what they were doing. God did did not look upon the actions of men and he was not shocked or taken aback by what they were doing. He knew. And yet. God also does not stand by idle. While his people or while his creatures trample rebelliously upon his word. God does not stand by idle as the the wicked continue to thumb their nose at God. This is a monument of praise to men, a front to the glory of God. And God's response in verse 6, they are one people. They all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. They have done this as a united sinful people, sinful people purposing sinful purposes. And if they continue in the direction, this direction, then the world will become as it was before the flood. 
You see that? They, they were heading back east. They were heading back to the condition of the world before the flood. There will be no limit to what? Not their, their accomplishments, but to their sin. Because they are acting sinful. They are doing sinful things. There will be no limit to their acts of rebellion. And what is the response of God before they go too far? Let us go down and confuse their language. That they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth. And they stopped. They stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. Here we are given a glimpse when God says, let us. We are given a glimpse into the divine conversation within the Godhead. It is an intra-Trinitarian conversation between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they are saying, let us go down, judge, and confuse, lest they go too far. Where have we heard let us before? We heard it in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our own image, yes. But what were the people who settled in Shinar, what, what were they saying? Let us. Let us build, make bricks. Let us build a tower. Let us make a name for ourselves. And now God responds to the power of man. And, and in power, let us go down and confuse. Man has said, we will accomplish our goals and, and let us do so. And God says, no, no, no. My plans and purposes will be accomplished. Just as the Lord came down when Adam fell in the Garden of Eden to execute judgment. Just as the Lord came down when Sodom and Gomorrah were at their height of sin to execute judgment. The Lord has come down to execute judgment upon the builders of Babel. It was a direct response from the Holy One of God on the pursuits, the sinful pursuits of man. God will not be mocked. God will not be mocked. This was an act of judgment from God. God's will will be done. Man may attempt to thwart the plans of God, but God's will, God's purposes, God's plans will be accomplished. He has commanded man to scatter and fill the earth and scatter and fill the earth. They will. But they refused to obey. They sought to do their own will. The people once again were displaying the depths of their sinfulness and the building of this tower for their own praise. There would be no limit to their sinful ways. And in order to restrain man's sinfulness, the Lord comes down. He stops them. He stops them before they have gone too far. And this was not a flood judgment. This was a confusing of language judgment. We may say. They just spoke different languages. This was God's judgment upon the peoples. The very thing that they feared becomes that which God does. They are scattered. They will be divided, not by flood, but by language. They sought a name for themselves. But it is God who builds up kingdoms, and it is God who brings them down. It is God who gives a name to people. We will see in Genesis chapter 12 where, where God calls Abraham. He, what's the promise he gives him? I will make your name great. They wanted to, to make a shim for themselves and God will not allow it. And God says he decides who will be great and who will not. 
And Abraham was great because Abraham would be used to make the name of the Lord great. From the very beginning, they were destined to fail. They were destined to fail because they disobeyed God's command to settle or to, to scatter rather than, than settle. They, they were destined to fail because they, they settled in Shinar. Earlier I said the muddy plains of Shinar. Because what are they building this city upon? They are building this city upon the valley. What happens when a valley gets flooded with water? It is a muddy plain. They built not upon a solid rock, but upon the muddy plains of Shinar. They built upon shaky, tottering, shifting sand of Shinar and not upon the solid foundation of God's word. What are you building on? They used brick instead of stone. They, they, they built a tower or a ziggurat, not for the glory of God, but for the glory of men. Point after point, the Lord is telling us what when man seeks his own will for his own glory, it never ends well. Where's the tower today? Where is this great achievement of men? They stopped. What's left of the great Roman Colosseum? What's left of the great temple of Artemis in Greece? Or how about the pyramids of Giza? What are they called today? Brother saying in the back. They are the ruins. They are the remains, they call them. They are ancient and they are wasting away brick by brick, stone by stone. They are all ruined. Where is the Tower of Babel? It's nowhere. And neither are any attempts of man to glorify himself. They are all wood, hay, and stubble. They are here today and gone tomorrow. All of the effort that we invest into gaining glory for ourselves ultimately results in all of our efforts blowing away with the dust. Ask Nimrod how attempting to gain glory for yourself ends. Ask Pharaoh. Ask Nebuchadnezzar. Ask Caesar. Ask Pilate. Consider those who have left this earth as unbelievers. It never ends well. God confused the languages. And though this was an act of judgment, it was also an act of mercy. God came down and restrained their sinful acts. God thwarted the plans of man by confusing their languages. God dispersed the people before they could carry their sin any further. God did not destroy them as he had done before. Rather, God dispersed them. And they were divided in their pursuits. Now, in closing... You must always ask this question. What does this have to do with the rest of Scripture? Number four, and finally, Babel and redemptive history. And this will be our, our shortest point. We've said before that the Scriptures are not isolated from one another. So we don't look at Babel and say, isolated story has nothing to do with the rest of the Bible. Here we find in, in the 11th chapter that nations are divided by languages. Man sought to glorify himself. But it will point to a day when nations will be united for the praise and glory of God. Let's in closing turn to Acts chapter 2. We talked a little bit about this last week. But hopefully those of you who have come from the background that I've come from will see this chapter a lot clearer. 
The book of Acts is right after the book of John and right before the book of Romans. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this, this sound occurred, the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in their own, his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that they that how is it that we hear each of them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygra, Pamphylia, uh, Egypt and and the district of Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own languages or tongues speaking the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and with great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking, saying they are full of sweet wine. They were saying they're drunk. Now, let's try this. I asked you before, how many of you have heard or read the Tower of Babel in chapter 11? There was some mix. How many of you read Acts chapter or Acts chapter two or know of it? I'm about the same. OK. For many this moment in redemptive history teaches us that 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 when we gather, this is what many believe, we may have the opportunity of experiencing what these disciples experienced. For many, they believe that if you pray long enough, if you pray hard enough, and if you have enough faith, the Holy Spirit will come down upon us with tongues of fire and we might have a tongue of fire experience. This is not what Acts chapter 2 is intended to teach us. When we think about redemptive work of Christ, do you know that we often tend to ignore the work of Christ who sends the gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2? These tongues of fire, they are representative of languages in which the gospel would be preached and brought to the nations. These, these flames that are above them, were, were like portioned flames that to the disciples and the apostles and those who were gathering looked like little tongues. Those who were there were not first given the Holy Spirit there because you have to have the Holy Spirit to be a believer. But rather, they were given a gift from the Holy Spirit to do what? Speak. In different tongues or different languages. For what purpose? To bring the gospel to the nations. And what a perfect time. There were people who were gathering for this celebration of Shuviat or Pentecost, Feast of Weeks. And it was a holiday that was celebrated once every six months. And so Jerusalem was packed with people. They were packed with people and they were celebrating the law that was given to Moses on that day. The nations were gathered during this holiday. And as they gathered, they heard the sound of rushing wind coming about. And, and every nation, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, every nation comes to, to find out what is that sound. The Bible says every nation, 
every, every rep- representative nation was there, and they all began to gather, and, and literally means they began to push up on one another. They were stacked on top of one another, finding out what is this sound. Confused, bewildered, what did they hear? They heard not only the 12 disciples, but the 70 Remember that from last week, the 70 that Christ called to go out to the nations and even women. Speaking, declaring the mighty deeds of God in their own languages, the languages of the nations. The nations were amazed. The nations were were confused, but they were providentially placed there by God. And then what happens? Peter stands up and Peter gives his first recorded sermon to these bewildered people. And what did he preach? The gospel. He preached the gospel. He preached that they killed the long-awaited Messiah. They killed the rest giver. And he was raised from the dead, Acts 36, or, or 236. Therefore, he says, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, the gospel, they were pierced to the heart. Who is pierced? The nations. And Peter said, and Said and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Who's speaking? Who's the we? The nations who have heard the gospel in their own languages. And Peter says to them, repent, each one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for your sins, and you will receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. What is this, brothers and sisters? This is a reversal of the judgment at the Tower of Babel. God, through the Holy through Jesus Christ, has brought those who have been dispersed throughout the nations to himself by the preaching of the gospel. Nations that were divided are now nations that are united in Christ. You can go to any nation now and there will be a believer. There will be your brother or your sister in that nation because God has not dispersed the nations, but has brought the nations to himself. As he divided them in, in, in Acts chapter 11, he promised that he would then bring the nations to himself in, Acts, in, in Genesis chapter 12 and 17, that he would bring them to himself and it would come through a seed. And that seed is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has reversed Babel's judgment. And what does this end with? It ends with all of us eventually gathering around the throne of the Lamb, singing, worthy is he. Who was and is to come. Man sought to exalt exalt himself. Man sought to build up his own kingdom. And the nations were divided because of their pride. But God has preserved a people for himself. He has given them his spirit and equipped them with the gospel that they, who is they? It is we. It is you, it is me. That we might go to the nations and bring the glorious gospel of Christ to all who have ears to hear and hearts to believe. So then as you head out today. As you go into your workplace or for some of you kids who have summer school. Ask yourself, are the nations on my mind? Is my unbelieving family member on my mind? My unbelieving friend or co-worker. Or even the common passerby. Am I even thinking about bringing the gospel to the nations or will I leave that work to Brother Louie once a month 
at a random park? Or will I leave that to the elders who go and preach at the mission twice a month? How concerned are you for the nations? Because you've been commissioned to them. Go, make disciples of all nations. Or do you only care and are you only concerned about building your own tower? Because selfish tower builders will walk by unbelievers every single day. Because they only care about their own tower. Let's pray.